Welcome back to After Office Hours with Carrie Lennard and Kayla Nelson. It's been a little while since we've been here chatting with you. Kayla, can you give us a little rundown on how you've been? What's been new? Just give our listeners a little recap here. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. So uh, how have I been? I have been looking forward to what's to come here later down the road. Um, Not only is Thanksgiving and Christmas and the end of the semester approaching, but we also have some very large initiatives. Um, That's actually, yes, that should be plural, but the biggest one at the top is uh, Sales Summit. That's going to be coming around the corner here. Um, Justin and I have been prepping for this for quite a long time, and we finally got the team in order, and we have initiatives for them underway and dates are set emails have been sent and videos have been made so carrie sales summit is underway how have you been i cannot wait for sales summit i think we've we've done a lot of chatting about this but it it truly is something that you know we came up with the idea probably last spring and are now finally seeing it come to fruition and it's going to be It's going to be a really, really cool event. It's the first annual one. And I think it's the first annual of many more to come. So Mm -hmm. as sad as it is, but that I will no longer be a student at the time of the sales summit. um, I'm really excited to be able to just go even as alumni, I'll get like a different, a different viewpoint. But other than that, I'm clearly very excited for that. I'm also excited to graduate. I have, like I just mentioned, I won't be a student here anymore. I'm I'm excited and I'm sad and I'm all the all the different feelings to be feeling, mm-hmm. but it's it's approaching so fast. So I think this yeah. semester has flown by and we really have about a month left of classes, which which is just crazy. So, but where did the time go? Seriously, really crazy. So that's keep an eye out for that for more information on Sales Summit, everyone. That's definitely something you're not going to want to miss. Um, we do have someone who's going to be at the sales summit that we actually had the opportunity to interview this week for the podcast, Monty Mayer from Salesforce, right? I know. Cool. Yes. Pretty cool. We we interviewed him this week for the podcast and he had just some incredible, incredible, incredible things to share. And I think we had uh, probably three main topics that we hit on during this interview. And I think We want to go over briefly just to give you a little sneak peek of what you're going to hear this episode and things to keep in mind while you're listening. So Kayla, would you go ahead and share with us uh, a couple of the things that you took away when we were recording with Monty? Yes, for sure. Also, beautiful transition there. That was amazing. We we have really, side note to our listeners here is transitions have been something that Kayla and I have gone, we're just really working hard to mm-hmm. make our transition smoother. So thank you, Kayla, th- for, for pointing that out. You are so welcome. <laughs> okay, so biggest takeaways from our time with Monty Mayer, VP at Salesforce. My first one was getting things done now. Cutting out procrastination. If you see it on your to-do list, just get it done. If you have an email in your mailbox, just respond. There's absolutely no reason to put stuff off, um, except for obviously... There's time crunches at times, but when time allows, just get it done. We all have 24 hours in the day. I mean, you look at the big, big names on the market and the big names in business. We, the one thing that we all have in common is uh, the time that's on the clock. 
So there's really no excuses when it comes to getting things done now. Another one was goal setting, holding yourself accountable. Uh, for me, I I have been a very large, I'm, I'm very large on goal setting. I really like setting goals and like seeing them out. And I recently bought a gold journal and this actually plays into the getting things done now one too. I have a uh, journal in which it's going to help me achieve my goals. Hopefully here, once I start it back up again, I do need to pick it back up and get going on it now. So again, time back down to the getting things done now. But anyway, so holding myself accountable for getting for achieving my goals. And uh, you're really the only person at the end of the day that can see yourself to the finish line. And then a uh, another one. Hmm, let's see here. Communication and digital skills. Uh, definitely two areas I know I need to improve on. And I know we can all continuously work to improve on. Um, it, it's an active work in progress. And the sooner that you can realize that and adopt that lifelong learner mentality, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Uh, Carrie, do you have anything to add to those? No, I think those are the three main ones that we both took away. And they truly are huge. They, they'll seem like huge topics. How can one person you know, give true insight? on what to do to achieve these topics, but he really, he really does a good job. He, he has a lot of great information and gives real tips on what you can do to get started doing those things that you want to get done now to start setting those goals and actually achieving the goals and to help those, those, that dreaded public speaking moment and make your communication skills so much better. I think Kayla and I personally have seen our like Kayla just said, there's a lot of room for growth, but I think we've both seen our communication skills grow a lot the past couple of years. And Monty gives some great insight on how you can keep those growing. So with that, I think now you're probably on the edge of your seat and just I know can't, I am. Wait, can't wait to hear what he has to say. So we will stop making you wait and let you get right into listening. We have a very special guest with us here today who we were lucky to be introduced to through Dr. Castleberry in our advanced selling class. Monty Mayer, Regional Vice President of Sales at Salesforce, has an impressive background in the world of sales and much further beyond. In class, we were able to dive deep into his story, his life in sales, and the attributes of successful salespeople. And he is here today to share more on what we as students can be doing today to put ourselves in situations to create lifelong successes. Monty, thank you so much for being here. Carrie, Kayla, it's a uh, personal and professional pleasure to be here today. Thanks for having me as a guest. Absolutely. We are so excited to dig into the questions that we have for you today. Uh, to kick us off though, when you were speaking in Castleberry's class, I'm a big note taker but I think I took upwards of seven pages of notes when you were speaking. You were absolutely loaded with well-aged wisdom and knowledge. It was super impressive. Um, and I know this comes from a lot of real, real world experience, but can you touch on a couple of books that may have guided your, guided and influenced your knowledge along the way and why those books? Yeah, for sure. It's tough to pick one and there's so many different categories. I'd say that, you know, there's a book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, pretty influential for me. Um, and um, one of the things 
that you'll hear from me, and you guys heard this in classes, developing financial literacy. Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad, hugely influential for me, um, just in terms of kind of uh, how you think about not only making money, but investing money. And so much of what we do in sales is we don't really sell products. We're asking customers to make investments. And that was really hugely influential for me. Um, I'd say another one that was very influential for me, and this goes back almost 30 years, is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, those two books, I'd say from a kind of overall personal development perspective, I mean, I've got a shelf full of sales methodology books. Jill Conrath, who lives in White Bear Lake, is awesome, and I love her books. But I would say, in general, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, those, are, those really help me, not only professionally, but personally. Um, and I highly recommend them. You know, there's some newer books. I think Atomic Habits is a great book. The Tipping Point's another one. But for me, if I had two that I'd had to pick, it'd be Seven Habits and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. How many times do you have to read these books? Because I know right now, Carrie and I, we have a pretty deep shelf of books that we've collected and that we've read. Um, Seven Habits is one for both of us, as is Atomic Habits. But I know for me, at least, I, I'm a one and done reader. I read it and I put back up on the shelf, move on to the next one. Are these books that we should be rereading to get more out of the second, third, fourth, fifth time that we read them? You know, I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I probably read, I probably read it 25 or 30 times because I get oh something out of it every time. Um, but he, here's the thing that I will tell you, like, if you look at high net worth individuals, and, and I've studied some of them, like almost without fail, like they've always got rich dad, poor dad on their list. And mm. because it talks about it's not how much you make, it's how many assets you have, right? And, and so like trying to get into inside the headspace of really successful. And we're not talking about like, you know, people that are, are not just CEOs of companies, they're highly successful. We're talking about, you know, multi, multi-millionaire real estate investors and people that have, you know, vast number of entrepreneurs and number of businesses. Like for a lot of those people, Rich Dad, Poor Dad has been a huge book, but that that's very focused on kind of the financial aspects. I think the thing about seven habits, that's really powerful is like, it's like, how do you build relationships that are really positive and long lasting, right? And at the end of the day, sales is a relationship business, but you know, here's something from Seven Habits, seeking to understand before you're understood, right? I mean, and that can be applied, whether it's in a family relationship, a personal relationship, business relationship, I, I think those sorts of things, like just make us better human beings in general, right? And I think that's something we all aspire to. But, but like Seven Habits, I will tell you, I have highlighted that, I've got post-it notes, all those sorts of things. Like, I think those are pr they're primers, right? And I, I think you can go back to those things. Um, and, and there's lots of books, right? But like Dr. Castleberry, I, I listened to your podcast when you interviewed him. He's like a ferocious reader, right? I mean, I don't even remember how many books he reads a week, right? So like, I just think this whole theme of continual education, like that's a big theme for successful people in terms of the people that I've met and inspired me. It seems like they're always learning and, and acquiring new skills. And you just mentioned that Dr. Casper himself and you, I'm sure, spend a lot of time reading these books. And there are so many books out there that should be read. And we are blessed to have and able to read that information. But you're busy. Dr. Casper is busy. We're busy. How do you carve out that time? Or what do you set out specific time that you're going to read? Or is you just make sure it's something that you incorporate in your week? 
you know, it's a little different now with the pandemic, but I will tell you, I always use airplane time and like, this is technology has changed this. Right. But like for me, the iPad or Kindle is, was a godsend because I could load up with 20, 30 books, take them on the plane. Haven't really been traveling in the past 20 months, but like what I try to do is I try to carve out some, some time in my week and, and, and this is hard to do, but you got to put time in your calendar for personal development. Right. And if you don't do that, you're just not going to make it a priority. But I think, you know, it's one of those things where you have to kind of sit back and say, what are the things I want to get better at? Right. And that's a really hard thing to do. The other thing that I'll tell you is meeting with people who can give you an outside perspective that you know and trust and that have your best interests in mind and getting feedback from them and saying, hey, listen, I need your honest feedback. What are some things that I can improve on? Right. And getting that feedback. And it's tough because we're all vulnerable. Right. It's hard to be vulnerable and make that kind of ask. That's why it's got to be somebody, you know, and trust. Right. Um, but getting that feedback and then really sitting down and say, hey, what do I want to get better at? Right. And it doesn't just have to be professional. Like, what things do I need to get better at personally? Right. Can I be a better can I be a better partner? Can I be a better parent? Um, can I be better in with my friend? Whatever those things are, I think, you know, you have to have a well-balanced approach and not just be over-indexed in one area of your life, which a lot of us are over-indexed on the professional aspects. But I think building that balance kind of scorecard of not only personally, not only professionally, but personally, I think those are really important things. Mm-hmm. And speaking of balancing the professional, the, perf- the professional, the personal lifestyle. Um, today, we really want our listeners, Monty, to take away um, how to interview for a job, what you can do today to prepare for your upcoming career, such as reading books and setting those goals and knowing where you want to be, and uh, ways to succeed personally and professionally. So can you first touch on, for our sales audience listeners, why sales? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, for you guys in Dr. Casper's class, we touched on this. um, And I'll kind of go in in reverse order. I I think, you know, there's a few different reasons. And the, the number one reason is obvious to most people. But I think that it can be very financially rewarding right? It's, it's kind of like being a pro athlete. They're paid very well. And the reason they're paid very well is there's so few people who are very good at it. Um, but I think the one thing is that, you know, really, if you want to, um, if you're motivated by money, and by the way, that's not a bad thing, in my opinion, um, you really have the ability to make almost unlimited kinds of money. Um, And there's a lot of different aspects of sales, right? In terms of what I do in business to business sales, that's one aspect of it, but there's all different sorts of industries. And by the way, the reason why it pays so well, because if nobody sells anything, then we don't need finance, we don't need accounting, we don't need engineering, we don't need marketing, everything starts with the sale. And I'm sure you've all heard that, right? But sales is the oxygen for capitalism. And there will always be a need to sell something. And people say, well, you know, the web and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like someone needs to go sell something. So I think, you know, the financial rewards are very great. There's risk involved, but where there's, if there's no risk, there's no reward. Um, So I think, you know, the financial incentives are absolutely compelling. Um, So that's one of the reasons why it's great. But I don't think it should be the only reason. And if you're just, the money isn't enough to compel you. Um, there's other reasons why. I think the second reason why is you can control your own destiny. And this is a big topic in terms of being not just an employee, 
but being the CEO of you, right? So I'm the CEO of Carrie, I'm the CEO of Kayla, I'm the CEO of Monty. And rather than thinking about being an employee, how do you think about being the CEO of your own business? And I think sales affords people that opportunity. Um, and we're going to talk more about personal accountability, but I think having that ability to say, listen, this is the problem that I, this is the value that I'm going to add for my employer um, and being able to be accountable for those sorts of things. I think that's really appealing because I ultimately success or failure doesn't come down to my territory. It doesn't come down to who I work for or who I work with. It comes down to me. And success doesn't come from external factors, it comes from you internally. And I think getting to that point is really empowering and having control of your destiny. We all want control, right? And having control of your destiny, I think is something that's, that's really appealing. I'd say the third reason, and this is probably the most compelling in my opinion, is if you think about what salespeople do, they need to think strategically, they need to build plans, they need to communicate, they need to resolve conflict. They need to exchange goods and services. They need to understand the financial implications. They need to build good relationships. These are the skills that regardless of what happens in technology, these skills are in high demand. And sales develops those leadership skills. Um, and, and like strategic planning and thinking, incredibly important. Communication, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit. Those are incredibly valuable skills. And by the way, those skills translate to a variety of different sorts of things. So for me personally, being in sales, like none of us are born with all those attributes. Some of us may be stronger in certain areas, but these are all skills that can be built. They're not attributes like eye color or hair color. These are skills that can be developed and built. And the more you develop them, the more effective you'll be. And so for me, really building those leadership skills is really important. Um, I think the fourth thing is... I think the variety of sales is incredibly stimulating. You get to do so many different things. Every day looks a little bit different. There's different problems to solve. There's different challenges. And I think that constant variety for me personally, I really enjoy that. It's challenging at times, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but if I had to go and do the same repetitive kinds of tasks every day, like that wouldn't be for me. Um, and I... For me personally, I thrive on the variety. Um, and to me, that's really stimulating. Um, so I think the variety is an appeal too. And, you know, I think the world's opening up again. So like being able to go different places, travel, meet different people and hear different people's stories. I think that's really interesting. Um, it's not for everybody. Not everybody likes that. But if you like those sorts of things, then I think a career in sales is, is a solid choice. And then I'd say the last thing is, sale, you never master it. You never have it. You, you never master selling. Like you're always, it's always changing. It's always dynamic. And I think the thing that's really appealing for, for a lot of people that are successful in sales is like, they're driven to accomplish a goal, right? And I'll tell you a story about a rep that I worked with. This particular rep worked on the same account and for three years and didn't sell anything for the first two plus years. But this particular individual was absolutely determined that she was going to slay that dragon. And um, she would not take no for an answer. And we talked in Dr. Casper's class about the need for resiliency and overcoming adversity. And you're, before you get to yes, you're probably going to hear a thousand no's. And I think being able to be determined and want to accomplish that and see that to the end, 
um, that challenge, I think, is very appealing. It's not for everybody, like I said earlier, but I think that challenge is very appealing uh, to a lot of people to be able to conquer those goals. And constantly dealing, though, with those challenges and hearing no after no after no, which we're going to hear, you've heard, a lot of our listeners are going to hear. What's your advice for having that resilience and to keep going, even though, you know, you're going to feel down Mm -hmm. and you kind of just have to learn probably just to keep pushing, but it's not easy. So what's, what's your advice there to keep pushing along? So there's a couple of things. Um, The motivation has got to be, this is a helping profession and you have to be focused on how you're helping your customer and helping your clients. You've got to be customer centric because if it's just about you, then quite frankly, like that's tough, but like you have to be hundred percent convicted that you're acting in the best interest of your customers. And by the way, it's not just about the rep success or your success or my success. It's like, how do you create success for other people? And this is really getting into the servant leadership thing of how do you create this halo effect? If you look at great CEOs, yeah, sure. They make a lot of money and they can create a lot of wealth, but look at all of the halo effect of of all the benefits of people that are associated with their company, the shareholders, the partners, the supply chain partners, all they're creating huge amounts of value, the jobs that they create, what they do in their communities. And so those sorts of things, it's, it's not just winning. It's like, what is the impact of what are your, what you're doing and how you're helping others? Mm -hmm. I think that really helps you drive through the no, because you know, it's, it's a cause greater than yourself. Absolutely. And with that too, it sounds like we're building up to create ourselves to be invaluable to just, you can't really put a, like a sticker on or a price on how valuable people are as salespeople. So what would you say is the most important aspect to focus on to create value? Is it our connections, our metrics, our skills? What's, especially young salespeople, what area should we focus on the most, focus on the most, right? out of the gate come graduation to yeah yeah I, I think it's a great question I, I think really there's a couple of different things we tend to look at the world in terms of stakeholders and I think you have when you get a new job as a new grad you have to think of having two different customers I think there's the customers that you're calling on and how are you helping them improve their business but you actually as the CEO of your own company have a second customer and that's your employer right? So if you go to work for 3M or Honeywell or Ecolab or Cargill or any of those companies, like they're your customer, right? Because you're the CEO of your company and you want to add value back to what they do. Are metrics important? They are because you want to make sure that you're, you know, quote unquote, moving the needle. Um, But I think the most important thing as a new grad is really to build those muscles and also um, find people who are good at what they do and try to tap into what are the things that they've done. There's, there's a saying that success leaves clues. And I've always tried to say, what are other people doing that are really successful? I even do that now. Like when I meet somebody who's been really successful or I meet somebody new, I say, Hey, what are the things that you've done that have helped you to be successful? And like, typically 
like there's all people are always willing to talk about what they've done to be successful. But I think establishing those relationships with people that have been successful is a really important thing. But learning the business, both your customer's business and improving that and then really becoming a student of your employer um, in terms of what they do. What are the what are the strategic initiatives of the CEO of the company that you're going to work for and and really understanding the company's strategy and plan. And I think those are incredibly valuable things. You're probably not going to be dealing with that on a day-to-day basis in your first role, but I think having that understanding gives you a bigger picture of really what you're part of and what you're trying to help the the company accomplish. Yeah, I think that's that's great insight here. And if you're not thrilled to start your career in sales after hearing those five things and beyond, I don't know how, I don't know how, but not everyone here listening is in sales. But most, if not everyone, will be interviewing and will ultimately be trying to find a job or some some way, shape, or form be going through that process. I know you have a lot of experience dealing with that sort of thing. So how should we be preparing for our career and these interviews that we're going to be going through within, whether it be the next couple months or the next couple of years? Yeah, for sure. Um, And I I have experience both interviewing for jobs and I have experience of interviewing people. Um, I'd say, first of all, at a a high level, you have to have a plan, you have to have a strategy. Um, So I'd say the first thing is, let's just pick a fictitious company, XYZ company. Um, What you want to do is before before anything, you want to research that company. Um, And I would say, you know, the best place to do that, it's really easy now, um, go to the web, what are their annual revenues? What is their share price? What do their financials look like? And by the way, one of the themes, and you guys have heard this, is financial literacy. Like that's really important. You don't have to be a CPA. You don't have to be an accounting or a finance major, but you have to have some basic understanding of the financials of your customer. So make sure that you do some research in terms of the basics. What's the name of the CEO? What's the name of the CFO? What are the products that they sell? Who are their partners? Who are their competitors? What markets do they serve? I think those are kind of all table stakes. And you want to make sure that you have a really solid understanding of that before your first meeting. I think the second thing that I would do is typically your first call is going to be with a recruiter. So what I suggest is before you meet that recruiter, go to LinkedIn before the meeting, link in with the, with the recruiter, send them a warm message. Hey, I'm looking forward to our meeting on Tuesday at three o'clock, confirm the details, just short brief, but link in with them before the meeting. You're also going to find some valuable information like where do they go to school, where do they live, where have they worked before, do you know any people in common, like do that before the meeting. I think that's really, really important and you can use that information to, you know, establish basic trust and rapport when you're talking to that recruiter. The other thing that I should mention is you're going to be interviewing with different types of people, right? So there's a recruiter. The recruiter's job is to basically screen you to make sure that you're valid. Do they want to send you on to the next level, right? So they're going to, they're going to go through a certain series of questions and have that conversation. Their job is to really like, to make sure that, that they should send you to the next level. Then there'll be hiring manager interviews. So that's probably the most critical, right? And when you think about the hiring manager, you want to go through the same LinkedIn process, but you want to find out what's the background of that hiring manager. Are they technical? Do they have a financial background, a marketing background, a sales background, where they go, all that kind of demographic kind of, all that, that kind of information. 
but also, you know, that's going to give you a hint in terms of kind of, okay, how does this person view the world? Now, it may be different in the interview than you see in LinkedIn, but that's kind of the excitement of it, right? Um, but I think LinkedIn is a really valuable tool for you to be able to do that kind of research and prepare. Um, I think the other thing is when you're meeting with the hiring manager, they're going to ask you a series of questions. You're not going to know the answers to all of them. But I think you also need to have some very pointed questions for the uh, hiring manager. And one of the things that I think is really effective is have a question that demonstrates that you've done your homework. And here's some of the phrases that I really like. I've been studying your company, or I read the annual report, or I noticed that your CEO said these things. It just shows that you've done your homework and you're prepared. And, and, success, and luck favors the prepared. Um, so I think those are some of the things, um, you know, and you have to, you have to always be contextual in terms of who the interviewer is with, uh, who the interviewer is. And in a lot of cases, you may be interviewing with somebody who's not the hiring manager, but it could be a, what I call a peer interview. The, the hiring manager will say, hey, you know, I'm going to have you talk to this person who's doing the job today. You need to have a series of questions like, what are the things that have helped you be successful? What are the, the challenges that you've encountered? Those sorts of things, because you want to be curious, but you also want to present how you can help them solve the problem. And I think the final point on this is from a hiring manager's perspective, they're not just looking to hire somebody to hire somebody, they're making an investment in you. And ultimately, they're going to spend money and they're going to invest money to accomplish an objective. And I think one of the great questions for a hiring manager is, how are you going to measure? What are the metrics or the KPIs that you're going to use to measure the effectiveness of this person that you're hiring? Because that's going to give you a really sense, a good sense for what the role is. So, so those are a few things that I think are, are really helpful in terms of preparing for the interview. Back to the question piece of the interview, because I personally, I personally think that questions are, it's one part in the interview where you can really stand apart besides from your background. And I do want to touch more on how you can like build up your background too, but later on. So what, what's a question that would be one that you get every single interview that maybe we should almost start to avoid asking, for example, like perhaps the day in the life, because that's one where you can do your research and gather uh, gather information on that. So what questions should we avoid asking? And if we're going to have, if we only have time for one question at the end of the interview, what's that one question that we should be asking? So I, I don't think there's one that one question you should avoid asking, but I think that you should avoid commodity questions that you can get from the website, right? Like, because <laughs> like, that's a waste of everybody's time, right? It's like, hey, what are the values of your company? Well, I mean, that, that should be front and center. Or what are your annual revenues? Or, you know, those sorts of things. Like, I, I wouldn't burn time on those because those are commodity kinds of things that you can get doing in your homework. Uh, you know, I think the questions are really compelling here. It's like, you know, what are the biggest, in a sale, in a sales situation, here's one of the questions that was posed to me, what are the biggest objections that you hear from your customers, right? Or what are the reasons why customers select someone rather than you, right? Because that kind of gets to, now you're getting into a real conversation, right? And it's not just situational or superficial. I think you're getting into, you want to understand the business, right? And I think those kinds of questions, first of all, it's great to know that information, but also, it's going to give you a really good sense of kind of working with that that hiring manager on a day-to-day -day level on a on a day-to-day -day kind of basis and i think that gives you great insight in terms of 
Because the biggest decision that you're going to have to make is like the biggest indicator of success, not indicator, but working with your boss, you've got to have a great working relationship with your boss. And you want to make sure the person you're going to work for is somebody that lines up to you and you can line up to them. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. And I think Kayla asked here, is there questions we shouldn't ask? But I think you almost could ask anything as long as you're being curious. But I was curious because I've heard before from people, obviously it's great to be prepared for an interview, but is there a line between knowing the basics of a company and the position that you're interviewing for and knowing too much or being almost over-prepared for the interview? Yeah, well, absolutely. And like, you know, there's always time constraints too. It's like, you can't, you can't be perfectly prepared for everything because there's always uncertainty. I, I think the thing that you have to really drive to is you have to have enough information to make an informed decision, right? And, you know, for me, if I'm interviewing somebody and they're asking me basic questions that they should know from the website, I'm like, well, you're wasting my, you know, why are we wasting time on this? What mm -hmm. I'm, what really from a hiring manager perspective is when I get questions that they really want to understand, like, how can they help the company? Right. And that's the difference is there's self-centered questions and then there's serving questions like, and the questions that I like is how can they contribute, right? Like I want to make sure that I can come in and, and make an impact. And when they ask questions that are going to help them to be impactful, I think those are the kinds of questions that set them apart from a hiring manager perspective. And then prior to the interview, going backwards in time a little bit here, how important is it to have those connections going in or to already have your name in the system versus just a resume on the pile? Um, and what connections should we be making if uh, those are so direly important? Yeah. So first of all, if you're going to work for, if you're interviewing with a company, so first of all, if you know somebody who works there, most companies have referral kinds of programs, right? And so I think talking to people who already work there and referencing that, I think that's really important. Mechanically, Every big company now has a recruiting system. And the most important thing is that you get your name into the recruiting system, get your resume and get it in there. And then by the way, when you're talking to the recruiter, here's a question that I would ask. Hey, by the way, I know we're interviewing for this opportunity. I really appreciate that. Are there other recruiters in different parts of the business that you could make introductions to for me? Because quite frankly, the recruiters hold the keys to get you in the door right? Once you get in the door, and by the way, you're probably not going to get the first job you interview for. Some people might, but a lot of times you have to interview two, three, four times and welcome to sales, right? Yeah. You're going to get no's before you get yes. Um, but I think just build that relationship with the recruiter. And this is a really important point. Everybody that you meet from that company, you want to establish a really positive relationship. How can you do that? One, be curious. Two, show gratitude, right? And um, secondly, make sure that you're making good use of everybody's time, right? So if the recruiter needs something, make sure you get it to them, um, follow up, um, make sure that you're being timely on those follow-up things because the recruiters, they have incredibly difficult jobs. They have to screen thousands of candidates, right? And they have quotas of people that they need to place. Um, same thing with a hiring manager, right? They're running a business and they need to backfill or they need to fill headcount. So it's an incredibly it's incredibly important that you make best use of their time. But I would say people that you know that work at the company, if you know customers, show that the most important thing is show that you've done your homework. But I think those connections are really important. And that's why LinkedIn's so valuable, right? Um, you can see if you have people in common, you went to the same school or you know somebody that works and get their insights. And then that gives you all kinds of, you know, 
points to, I was talking to my friend who works in business unit A of this company, and they told me that this is an initiative. Tell me how that's going to impact the work that you're doing, or how does that, you know, how does that affect your KPI? I think those kinds of questions are really valuable. All right. So we've shown up to the interview. We were curious. We had our connections. We demonstrated our successes. We demonstrated that we have connections. And we pointedly asked for the job, made the sale. We've got it in the, in the bag. We've got the job. How do we prepare for said position or career now that we have it? And maybe we're starting next week. Maybe this is a position that we secured in December and we graduate in May. What can we do today to prepare for a career in sales or really any, any career? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, you know, these are the sorts of things that not only apply to sales, but I think they apply to any function, whether it's sales, marketing, service, manufacturing, engineering, operations. Um, I would say, so first of all, the number one thing is um, developing financial literacy. I think that's really the most important thing. And again, like I said earlier, you don't need to be a CPA, but I think understanding the basics, because at the end of the day, finance and the metrics is how, how businesses are measured, right? And uh, so one of the things that I tell people is go buy a share of stock in a company that you're either interviewing with or a company that you think that you think highly of. Buy a share of that stock or a fractionalized share and watch that company. Read their press releases, read their quarterly earnings releases, read their annual report. And you're invested at that point. And by the way, if you're going to interview with a company and you're talking to the recruiter, oh, by the way, I'm not just interviewing, I'm a shareholder. I think that's a really impressive statement, right? Um, so I think that's that's one of the things that that's really important is to um, to uh, to invest and show that that interest in the company and just basically build that financial literacy, right? So I think those are uh, that that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing is building your communication skills. Um, the number one fear of Americans is not death. It's speaking in front of other people. So I think building those kinds of public speaking skills are incredibly important. Great leaders are always effective in communicating. And public speaking is a big part of that. Now, with the pandemic, public speaking is a little bit different. What you're doing with this platform, I think is a great, great skill is what I call digital skills. So that would be things like podcasts or blogging or vlogging. I think those are great kinds of communication skills. Those are absolutely the future of where, uh, where the world is going. And I think those are great things to do um, to build those skills. The, the one thing I would say for communication skills, and this is probably the hardest communi communication skill to develop, is listening. Mm -hmm. And it's, it happens to be the most valuable. Um, and, you know, there's two ways to listen. There's something called listening intention. And let me just share a quick story. So you're going to this sales call or interview, whatever it is, you're presenting your proposal to the customer. You're saying, here's what my solution is. Here's how much, what the investment is. And in your mind, you're gearing up. So you present all that. And then you're waiting for the customer's feedback. And the customer is going to say, well, I think it's too expensive or the product doesn't do this or we don't have that or it doesn't do this. In your mind, you're probably gearing up for this conversation and your mind is thinking, how am I going to respond to these objections? And the listening intention that you have, you're listening to respond when 
uh, our real listening intention should be, we should be listening to understand. The more we can listen to what those objections are, because there's always an objection behind the objection, and we have to understand what that is. And what I tell people is, don't listen to respond, clear your mind, focus on what the the buyer is saying so that you can respond so that your response is really suited to what their concern or their objection is and listening not only important when you're in a sales situation but in team dynamics we've all been there right um, where you're working on a team someone on the team views the, everybody views the world differently but they have a point of view and we're listening with our point of view in mind instead of trying to understand theirs. I would say listening is the number one communication skill that is needed. We all have a built-in proportion counter on listening. We have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. But I would say those communication skills are really important. The other thing, um, and this is a topic that we could go for days about this, but your written communication skills are incredibly important. Communicating with executives is very different than sending an email to to our best friend. Um, and there's some specific tips that I have when you're communicating with executives. First of all, you want to be very succinct. Um, when you send an email to an executive, you have to have an executive summary, whether it's internal to one of your executives internally or whether it's to a customer executive, you want to make sure that you give them a summary and put yourself in, in the shoes of the executive. They're dealing with thousands of communications every day and everybody wants something from them and they've all got problems to solve. And if they just get a blind email that's all sorts of text, it's probably going to get deleted okay? or they're not going to read it. Um, so you want to have a summary and then you want to be very succinct in terms of what your ask is and then what you're offering to them. So it has to be very short, very concise and very succinct. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is a, a whole different topic, but for a lot of executives, the most powerful person in the room is not the CEO. It's the CEO's executive assistant. And we're learning to work with executive assistants is incredibly valuable. They control their schedule. They control everything about that person's world. And so you need to make sure when you send an email, it may not even be read by that exec executive. It's probably read by their EA. So um, those are some of the things just from a writing perspective, you have to learn to be very succinct, short to the point. And, and, and the other thing that I'll mention is a lot of emails aren't read on a screen. They're read on a phone. So you have to make sure that it's very short and to the point and it's easily consumable. But all those things, public speaking is an incredibly valuable skill, but reading and writing and then, you know, the new media, what I'll call digital kinds of media, I think they're really important and developing those skills are really important. So those are a few of the things. I, I think the other thing just in terms of skills that you can work on is join a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, every nonprofit and there's tons of them out there. They all need to raise money. Getting comfortable in having financial conversations is incredibly valuable. And by the way, executives, they all belong to nonprofits. They all have a cause they're passionate and they care about. It's a great way to network and meet other people. So I would say that's another thing that you can do to get started today, not just in sales, but really in any profession. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, those are a few of the things that I would say is, get comfortable speaking in front of people, build financial literacy. You can do that by buying shares of stock or a share or a fractionalized share um, and, and build those communication skills and financial literacy. I think those are things that 
can serve anybody who is aspiring to be in sales, or even if you're in a different part of the business, um, I think those are all valuable skills that uh, serve everyone well. And do you have any specific steps we can take or advice? You say one of the big things is getting comfortable public speaking. What are some active things that we can be doing to get good at that and get just further our communication skills? Is it just putting yourself in those positions where you kind of are forced to do it or should we be watching videos or reading books on it or what's, what's. I mean, you certainly can. There's tons of like, you know, I think YouTube is probably the greatest resource to do, learn how to do anything these days, but I would say force yourself to be in a position where you need to speak in front of people, whether that's part of what you're doing at UMD, whether it's part of some other club or association that you have, find a way to be in a position to speak in front of people. And by the way, if it's not real, virtual is great too. Now, virtual is different, right? Because you may be in an environment that you control, standing in front of 20 people or 200 people or 2000 people and speaking, I think is, is, a, is a different kind of experience. But I think you have to find a way. Toastmasters, awesome. I'm not a member, but I know people who are a part of that. Absolutely awesome way, not just to develop your public speaking skills, but also to meet new people and network. Hmm. What was it that you said? It's called Postmasters? Postmasters. Okay. Yep. Well, they have local chapters. They're, I, I'm not a member. I can't speak for them, but they are the world-renowned organization for developing public speaking skills. All right, we'll have to plug our listeners with a link to that because that sounds like a very useful tool. Um, speaking of tools and current day ways of bettering yourself, what do you say to video communication and emails? I know Carrie and I in Casper's class, we actually recently just had an assignment where we had to create a video uh, introducing ourselves to a sales or an account that we were selling to as sales representatives. And uh, it was really cool. We learned how to embed the video, what to say, what makes it appealing, et cetera. But what do you see that sticking around here in the future? Or how do you see that as effective when communicating, whether it's like on the same level to peers or to executives? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see more of it. Um, I will tell you in my day-to-day -day job, I don't see a ton of it today. We see it more on the demand gen side. Um, where you're trying to make an initial contact or build, build an initial connection. Um, I would say for most of what I do and the people that I work with, like they're mainly written emails and, and those sorts of things. But I do think that that is the way the world is going. Just digital is taking over, right? And using that as a tool to establish connections and does it differentiate and stand out? It does. Um, Absolutely. And I think that technology is just going to get better and better. Um, but I'm not seeing, I'd say maybe today it's five or 7% would be my guess. I don't have, I haven't seen the numbers, but I do think we're going to see more of it. But a lot of what we do today is emails that introduce a problem, a solution value to gain interest, to measure interest and get that initial connection so we can engage on a deeper level. I think in the end, relationships are still built face to face or in the past 20 months, video to video. Um, but I think the world is opening up again. Um, I think we've seen that. And in the end, I think, you know, video will always be a part of what we do, but there's no replacement for that connection where you build that relationship. It's really hard to build trust and rapport through a video, but I think it's a great introductory kind of tool to build that initial connection. All right, and our last question here for you. What are 
some tips that you have for us to be successful both personally and professionally? Yeah, so big question, uh, and I'll, I'll answer it in this way. I think there's two kind of innate human kinds of things that we're all born with, and those are procrastination and to avoid danger, right? Yes. And, and I think those are biological, those are, are, are biological kinds of drives, right? We all, no one wants to step to the edge of a 200-foot cliff. I, I'd say the two things, and this is something that I work on every day, is setting goals for yourself and holding yourself accountable. You, you know, you hear the term a lot, well, you know, we need to be accountable. The most powerful kind of accountability is where you hold yourself accountable. And it's easy to make excuses. Let's pick a really tangent. I, I'm going to get in better shape and I'm going to start working out three times a week. Okay. I'm going to set that goal for myself and I'm going to accomplish this goal by January 1st. Um, so we set that goal. And then the easy thing to do is to let ourselves off the hook. All right. And we say, well, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up and then the holidays and I've got this and I've been busy. I've got finals. And you come up with these excuses. I'd say the number one thing is don't let yourself make excuses for whatever that goal is, whether it's personally or professionally. There's a million reasons why you can't do something, but you have to be absolutely determined that you're going to accomplish that goal. So number one, eliminate excuses. Um, I worked with a rep and the rep's favorite saying is, I'm not in the excuses business, I'm in the results business. And I think that's really powerful in terms of eliminating the habit of making an excuse of not getting something done, whether that's personal or professional and really driving yourself. I think the second thing is being able to get stuff done and get it done efficiently and not waiting. We all have more to do than we think we can, but getting stuff done and getting it done with what I call a sense of urgency. So, well, I need to email I, this customer's having a pro or this customer has a question, but I got a million other things to do. Just get it done and having that sense of urgency and setting a goal. And I'll just share a quick example that both of you can probably relate to when we were talking about doing this podcast, we we're like, okay, well, you know, let's generate a script. And when should we do this? Should we do this at the end of November, at the end of December? And I said, let's just do this on the 12th of November. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but it yeah. was kind of, I kind of sense that you guys are like, wow, that seems a little, but like, let's get after it. Right. And I think that sense of urgency to go get things done and then not letting ourselves make excuses why we can't do something. I think those are really powerful concepts. And if you can exercise those muscles, I think it really drives action. It drives effectiveness. And I think it gives us really a sense of kind of being able to get that stuff done. I think it really builds our confidence and, uh, and, and we can exude that confidence in terms of being able to accomplish those tasks. Oh, that's I feel like I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. I want to get after my goals. I just bought a goals journal actually. And I started it Monday and come Wednesday, I had already set it aside. I was just too busy. Not enough time. Not enough so time what was your excuse? My well, you excuse, were, my you excuse were too was, busy? Yeah, too busy. But somehow I find time to, you know, hang out with friends, or hang out with my boyfriend or read like, I'm also a big reader, so I'll read my books or procrastinate, watch How I Met Your Mother. So we're going to just get after it when I get back to my apartment, pick it up and crack it open again here. So thank you for that, Monty. And yeah, so I have one last comment on that, and that has to do with time, if you'll indulge me. Here's something that 
Carrie, Kyla, myself, we all have in common with Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Joe Biden. We all have we all have one thing in common. We all have the same amount of time in the day. Now, those executives probably have lots of resources to do stuff, but like you have to be very selfish with your time and make sure you're ruthless in terms of prioritization that you're doing things that matter. Um, and I think making the most out of the time that you have, I think that's really important and being incredibly selfish, uh, guarding your calendar to make sure that you're doing the things that are going to help you be successful and ultimately help others around you be successful. I think that's an attribute of successful people that I've, I've observed over the years that they're very, very discreet in terms of how they use their time. One last question here. Would you say that young people like Carrie and I, we have an unperceived advantage that young people tend to not take advantage of, and that is time? I mean, we're no time, like we have more time, maybe fewer resources, but we also don't have anything truly anchoring us down right now, like collecting spouses, cats, dogs, mortgages, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, for sure, I think that's that this can be an advantage. I, I think you have a lot of advantages. One, you're in a generation that we call digital natives. You grew up in the digital world, right? So like the internet and and I think one of the huge advantages that you have is the ability to establish, nurture and maintain relationships through technology. Don't mm -hmm. underestimate how valuable that can be. And that's the way the world is going, by the way. Um, I also think that your generation has access to so much information, like, and I'm going to give away my, my vintage here a little bit, but when I used to write a research paper, I had to go to Wilson Library at the University of Minnesota or Walter Library, right? Like, that, that's, you can't even consider that right now, right? So I think, like, just growing up in the era that you grew up in, and I will tell you, like, the students that I work with, every time that I, I speak to either Dr. Castleberry's class or, or other, other universities, I walk away, like, I'm inspired and quite frankly, and motivated because I'm like, these people are going to have my job in a very short amount of time, right? Because you guys have so much access to information. I think there was no, there was no notion of getting a degree in sales when I was, when I was um, going to college, right? And I think having those experiences and going through things like sales simulations, sales competitions, you have a huge advantage. And I think really the challenge is going to be continue to develop those skills. I think you're going to learn about 10% in university of what you need to be successful, but you have to learn every day. And this is something I talk to Dr. Castleberry all the time is it's not just learning content. It's learning how to learn and learning how to acquire those skills and do that repeatedly. What I will tell you about the work, the working world now is you have to reinvent yourself. It used to be you had to reinvent yourself every four or five years. You have to reinvent yourself every 12 to 18 months now. And that's just the reality of, 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 of the professional world um, that we live in right now because the world changed so fast and the markets are so dynamic. Absolutely. Before we close up here, Monty, do you have any other closing comments that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, you know, here's what I would say is set those goals, have those short, those short, medium and long range goals. When you make those goals, make them bigger. We're all capable of so much more than we think we are. And the number one thing that limits our success is right between our ears. So make those goals bigger. Um, you can always accomplish more and don't underestimate and don't devalue your skills. 
Um, but always set bigger goals and always push yourself harder. If you think the goal is 100, make it 175. If you think it, if you think the ceiling is 200, it can be 400. And that was an advice that I learned later in my career. And it's hard to do because it's dis, it's uncomfortable. But don't set the bar too low for yourself. Would be my advice to your listeners. All right, everyone. There you have it. Start today. There's no better time than the present to get going on whatever it may be, whether it's studying for that test or applying for that job or taking a leap in your career. The time is now. Start cracking those books like we talked about, practicing for those interviews for uh, college students and those who are reconsidering a career change as well. Question asking is just as important as listening is. And we gave, I think, all of you an abundance of advice for what to do today and tips for today. All thanks to Monty Mayer from Salesforce. Monty, thank you so much for being here today. And we are very excited to launch this podcast. Thank you, Kyla. Thank you, Carrie. I look forward to hearing the podcast. And uh you guys are doing great work and look forward to uh, to hearing more of your podcasts going forward. Thanks. All right. Thanks Thank so much, you. Monty.